Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Christian Celebration Center podcast. Our prayer is that this audio will encourage you in Christ and challenge you from God's word. Enjoy the message. You guys, you guys can be seated. Is anyone in here besides me all cookied out from Christmas? Anyone like, I'm not having any more cookies for the rest of the year? I was just talking to uh, Hope about this the other day. I was like, man, I'm like, I'm just like going to have salad. Like I just need something light. And I think that same night, Luke woke up crying and I went in and I brought in a tin of chocolate covered biscuits. I had like 10 to 15 cookies. Don't, they're little. Don't judge me. But uh, our neighbor gave us some cookies and a lot of people always give us some treats and things. And sometimes you like them and sometimes you don't. Anyone have a relative that gives you kind of like nasty cookies? Or, well, you, if they're here, don't raise your hand. I got one over here. Yeah, you bite into it, and you're like, thank you. <coughs> Good. Ah, wow, thank you so much. I can't wait to eat all 25 of these by myself. Uh, but what you don't do is ask for the recipe, right? Because uh, you, don't, you don't want that recipe. When someone gives you something amazing, like when Hope makes her chocolate pudding pie, I've been waiting for another opportunity for this, Hope, just hint. Uh, when you eat that, you're like, oh, I have to have more of this. And so you're like, hey, can I have that recipe? I want, I want to have more of that pie in my life, All right? So you ask for the recipe because when you have the recipe, you follow the recipe and you get the result. And so uh, some of you guys might have some recipes, maybe some family recipes, like any grandmas in here have some recipes that, that are like, they're just for me, like I'm the only one in my family. No? Well, I know some people like that. You ask them for the recipe, they're going to be like, well, I can ask, but I am not going to share with them. Because that's grandma's recipe, right? Well, when you get a recipe, you follow it, and you get the result. And I want to share a recipe with you guys this morning. And that is a recipe given to us by God, a recipe for revival. We follow this recipe, and we will get the result, which is revival. Let's look at our main text again. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, if they humble themselves, if they pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's God's desire to forgive and to heal and for ultimately to have his presence be with and among his people. But what if God's people became cold and distant? What if God's people no longer felt connected to his purposes? What if because of their sin, God's people actually became an obstacle to his presence in both their lives and to others? Well, if that happens, here's the way back. And here's the way forward. This is a recipe for revival. Just for a minute, I want to ask the question, what is revival? Because some of you might not know what I'm talking about. It's not a term that is stated in scripture, but the principle of revival is found throughout scripture. One really great example of this is Ezekiel's vision where he sees an army of dry bones come back to life because God brings them back to life. Sometimes uh, I can get confused when I hear the word revival, so I'm just going to narrow it down to a definition to us for today. And believe it or not, the closest definition I found of revival that I'm talking about Uh, was on Wikipedia, and so I've adapted the Wikipedia definition a little bit for us this morning. And so uh, here it is. Revival is the restoration 
of God's people to a vital and fervent relationship with God after a period of apathy or moral decay. Revival is a restoration, a renewing. Imagine you guys have a wood stove heating your house, right? There is a big fire in there. It's heating your home. It's keeping you warm. Left untended, that will die down. It will become cooler. It will be just glowing coals, right? And with the winter coming, if you leave that alone, that fire is going to die out. It's not going to fulfill its purpose anymore. It's not going to bring life and sustain life and heat your home. But if you throw fuel on that fire, it's going to burst into flames and it's going to fulfill its purpose. It's going to bring life and sustain life in your home. It's going to bring heat. And so revival is kind of like that, a fire that has gotten cool that springs back to life. It's revived. And I want to tell you guys, I want to experience revival. I want to experience more of God's presence in my life. I want that for us too. I want to experience more of walking in his purposes, feeling closer to him. I want his presence to be with me in a powerful way, to accomplish his purposes in this world. But can I be honest with you guys? This is just me up here being honest. It, sometimes I'm pretty prideful. Sometimes I think I know it all and have it all together and I don't really have anything left to learn. And Hope will tell you, when she loads the dishwasher, I say, why are you doing that way? Because my way is better. <laughs> Sometimes I'm prideful. And there are times that I neglect prayer. Even as a pastor, there's times that I neglect prayer. I'm not proud to say that, but it's true. Since becoming a pastor, I believe there was one day that I got to the end of the day, I said, I didn't even pray today. As a pastor, that's crazy. Sometimes I'm prideful. Sometimes I neglect parents. Sometimes I get so distracted and so tired, and I find myself, instead of seeking God, seeking to entertain myself above all else, whether it's video games, which I've been trying to give up, it's whether it's a TV or Amazon Prime videos for hours, YouTube, I find myself just seeking to entertain and distract and numb myself. You guys, I'm not okay with that for me. I'm not. I want to experience more of God, not more of YouTube. I want to experience more of his power and his presence in my life. But sometimes I've gotten off track in my relationship with God. And I think that in our own way, it's probably true for each of us. We could probably relate to that and say, yeah, if I'm looking at my life honestly, looking at 2023, there were times probably, yeah, I, I can relate to that, getting off track in my relationship with God. Times when we're not experiencing the presence of God like we want to, where things kind of seem distant between us, or seasons where we don't feel particularly connected to his purposes or feel motivated to live them out, just floating along in life. I think that many of us could relate to times of experiencing that, being off track. But we're not the first ones who've ever struggled with getting off track at times. Almost 3,000 years ago, Israel, God's chosen people, got off track too. But in fact, they got way more than off track. They got off the track, turned around, and started going the other direction. And it's in the middle of this story of God's people, Israel, that our main text comes from. 
God gives his people a recipe for revival. Now, I'm going to do my best for you guys to do some summary work from Genesis up until this point in Israel's history. I'm going to skip a lot, so you're probably just going to have to go home and read uh, the Old Testament today. So, uh, Genesis 1, right? God creates this world. He creates this paradise, this garden, and he puts man and woman in this garden. And, and the Bible says that Adam walked with God in the cool of the evening. God's presence was with humanity to fulfill his purposes on the earth. Then the fall happened, right? And God's presence was removed to an extent. It's God's omnipresent. But we're talking about his special, unique presence. So his presence was removed. Sin entered the world. And God made a promise. He promised that there would be someone that would come and break the curse and make things better. And so you move along in Genesis and you come to a man named Abraham. God promises Abraham that through you, through your seed, I will make a great nation and I will bless the world through you. Eventually this family that spawns from Abraham ends up in slavery in Egypt. God delivers them from their captivity he brings them into a worship relationship with himself, and they can't approach God because of their sin. And so he gives them a law, he gives them uh, rituals and purification um, methods, and he gives them the tabernacle so that the people of God could be in his presence. The presence of God could come to Israel and be a blessing to the whole world through them. And so... Israel agrees to abide by this law and commit, they commit to God through this covenant following 613 laws. They're like, yep, we can do it, no problem. And what do you know? They fail really badly and you got judges and they're spiraling down and down and down and down. And you just see people uh, failing and failing and failing and sinning and sinning. God's people. And then uh, they become united under a king, right? First Saul, but then we get to King David. And God makes another promise to King David that his kingdom will last forever. And that through David's line, there would be someone that would come and deal with this sin problem so that God's presence could be with his people, working its purposes in the whole world. And then David's son Solomon comes on the scene, and that's where we get this, and that's when we come to our text. Solomon just finishes building the temple. They consecrate themselves. They set themselves apart for worship for God. They make sacrifices, and they dedicate the temple to God, and they ask God, would you be with your people? And the Bible says that fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice in the temple, and that the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And so his presence now is with his people. They've got the promised, they've got the promise to King David, and his line is still going. This is Solomon. His, his presence is in his temple. Some people might say that in Israel's history up until this point, they're the most prepared to be a blessing to the whole earth. They have the temple, they have the king, they have God's presence. But something happens, uh, and God knew it was going to happen. You see, God said that if my people will humble themselves... He said that, but before that, in verse 13, he says, when. He says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, 
or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. God says, when I shut up the heavens, why would God shut up the heavens? Because he knew Israel was going to fail. He said, when that happens, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Unfortunately, at at the later part of Solomon's life, he accumulated hundreds of wives from the neighboring nations who worshipped pagan gods. And Solomon, as Israel's king, set up idols for people to worship instead of God, instead of Yahweh. And he led the people into idolatry. And over the course of Israel's history, we see a downward spiral. The kingdom splits in half. Then you've got the northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. They're fighting each other. And then you've got about 20 kings in the north kingdom and about 20 kings in the southern kingdom. And out of all 40 of those, only eight kings do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, these kings set up idols. They set up occult prostitution. They set up all kinds of detestable practices. Eventually, they set up child sacrifice. God's people, his chosen nation, God's presence is with them. And then God's people, all the way to child sacrifice. They didn't get, just get off track. They, they stepped off the track and they turned the other way and started walking away from God. But there are a number of kings that followed this recipe for revival. I'm going to talk about just four of them. We don't have time for their whole stories. But I'm just going to share a, a, a little bit about four kings who followed this recipe. These are not in order, um, but we're just going to do it out of order. So the first king I want to talk to you guys about is King Josiah. King Josiah humbled himself when he found God's word in the temple. He humbled himself. 2 Chronicles 34, 27, and 28 says this about Josiah. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God, when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I, will, now I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. And so because Josiah humbled himself, he put away idolatry in the land, and he caused the people of Israel... To worship the Lord, Yahweh, as long as he was alive. And so, here is Israel, steeped in idolatry, steeped in detestable practices. At this point in Josiah's reign, his father had already instituted child sacrifices. So they're like at rock bottom. Josiah is the last king that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord in this history of Israel. So they're surrounded by a culture that has experienced moral decay depravity, idolatry, witchcraft, all kinds of detestable practices. Some people might have said that it was impossible for them to come back. Like, how, how, could, you, how could you get your foot out of that? How could you get out of that muck and start serving the Lord and fulfill your purpose? But Josiah humbled himself. 
See, the land was without instruction in the word of the Lord, and the law was found in the temple. And when Josiah heard the word of God, he tore his clothes and he wept. And then God said, because you humbled yourself, I will not bring this disaster in your lifetime. He's like, you're going to have peace. And because the king humbled himself, the whole nation served God as long as he was alive. So Josiah humbled himself. Another king during this time of moral decay in Israel's history was Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah uh, prayed. There was an enemy that was going to attack Israel. There was an enemy that came against him and said, where is your God? Your God can't stop us. We're taking you out. And so Hezekiah knew that he could not handle this enemy. He knew that he couldn't do anything about it. So he prayed to God. He prayed to God, and God heard his prayer. 2 Kings 19, 15 through 19 says this. This is Hezekiah's prayer. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. At this point, Hezekiah is the king of Judah, and Israel has already been taken out by Assyria. They've already been conquered and sent into exile. And what many nations would have done in Hezekiah's position, what many kings would have done, is tried to make alliances with other nations so that they can put their trust in, in other people's resources and strengths and skills. And if we just come together, we can take out this enemy, right? But that's not what Hezekiah did. Even though that's what made sense, to put his trust in another nation, to put his trust in, in his resources, to put his trust in his capabilities, he didn't. He put his trust in God. He prayed. And what happened to that enemy is that God, before the enemy ever had a chance to attack, God killed a whole number of them in the night. And before they ever laid one foot in Judah, before they shot one arrow, they all went back to where they came from because God fought for them. Later in Hezekiah's life, he got sick and he was at the point of death. The sickness was going to kill him. But then he prayed to God. He said, God, remember me. And God healed him. And because that Hezekiah prayed, he had the audacity to ask God to heal him at the end of his life, God says, I'm going to add 15 more years to your life. And so under the reign of Hezekiah, who prayed to God, the people of Israel served the Lord. Another king that we see in this context of moral decay and depravity in Israel's history was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was also a king that was threatened by another nation. Am I saying that right? Some people are smiling. Jehoshaphat. Yeah, I must be. 
I fetched you. All right, tell me, if, if, tell me in your office later if I get it wrong. All right, so he set his face to seek the Lord, and he ended up rejoicing over his enemies. And so uh, there's a, another army that's coming to, to attack them, coming to destroy them, coming to take them out. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. And it says, he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He says, I got to seek God. It's the most important thing. It's even more important than eating. We're going to make it through this. We have to seek the Lord. And so he set his heart on seeking the Lord. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. They sought the Lord and the Lord was found. The enemies that were coming to attack Israel, or Judah, I should say, because that was Israel was the northern kingdom. They were coming to attack Judah. They ended up being ambushed and then fighting each other, and they all killed each other. And so when they went out over the hill and they saw the, and they were expecting to see the armies of the enemy, all they saw was just bodies because they already fought each other and no one escaped. And so because this nation humbled themselves, they prayed, they sought the Lord, they set their hearts on seeking the Lord, not on seeking an idol, not on seeking uh, uh, after other things, but saying, God, I seek you alone. It's so important. Like, more, even more than I need to eat, I need to seek you right now. And because they did that, they were saved. The last king uh, that I'll talk about is Asa. Uh, Asa, once again, surrounded by a culture of moral decay and depravity. Asa turned to the Lord and repented. He was the first king after idolatry had entered Israel that did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He repented. He put away the idols out of the land. He destroyed the high places that people worshipped other gods at. And he repented, had a victory in battle, and then he heard something from the prophet. He says, the prophet said to him, if you will forsake the Lord, the Lord will forsake you. But if you draw near to the Lord, the Lord will draw near to you or be with you. And as soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah. As soon as he heard the word, he'd already put idolatry away, but he had, and then he had a victory in battle. But then when he heard this, this word from this prophet, as soon as he heard it, he, he repented even further. There was still more idolatry going on in Israel. And Asa was so serious, he didn't wait. As soon as he heard the word, he turned away from idols. He repented. He actually repented so hard that he kicked his grandma out of the palace. His grandma was in there called the queen mother, and she also was promoting idol worship. And so uh, Asa was serious. He wasn't going to let that family connection keep him from serving the Lord. And so he even kicked his grandma out. No, don't, not, don't kick your grandma out, okay, if anyone's thinking about doing that, please. You'll never get her cookie recipe if you do that. <laughs> so looking at this period of Israel's history, God's people failed again and again and again. But every single time they sought the Lord, every single time that they humbled themselves and prayed, set their hearts on seeking him, 
Every time that they turned from their wicked ways, God heard them and healed them. He forgave them because God is good and God is faithful to keep his promises even when his people don't. God is faithful. And in a time of moral decay, spiritual depravity, there were those who said, God, I need you. God, you are greater than me. I need your help. Lord, I'm going to seek you. I'm not going to seek anything else. I am going to turn from my sin. You see, God promises to heal, to save, to forgive. He promises to bless us with his presence. It's, his, it's what he wants to do. And if God can take a nation that had worshipped basically everything under the sun besides him, committed every detestable practice, including child sacrifice, if he can take that nation and start a revival, I know he can start a revival in me and in us. Now, we are not Israel, right? Like none of us, I hope none of us, are bound down worshiping idols, right? Nobody's making child sacrifices. But we do live in a land in a time of moral decay and spiritual depravity. We do. And to think that it is not affecting me or affecting us, I think, would be wrong. I think it would be dangerous to assume that we're unaffected by the culture around us. And so, personally, I want to take a look at my life. I want to take a look at my life and say, God, what do I need to turn from to experience more of your presence? What... In what ways do I need to be humbled, God, to fulfill your purposes? Because I want to experience revival. I want to experience his presence. I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to see people get saved. I want to see people be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want to see miracles. Anyone else want to see miracles? Yeah. It's not going to happen without revival. Well, God can do a miracle anytime. But walking in his presence in a powerful and unique way to be able to accomplish his purposes, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen in my life unless something changes. I know that. Maybe you're with me, maybe you're not. But I know that for me personally, I'm not going to be okay with compromise anymore. I'm not going to be okay with neglecting prayer. I'm not going to be okay with having my son Luke grow up with a father who is not walking in the presence and power of God. Because he needs that. So, how does this story of Israel really affect us? This temple, they had a temple and God's presence came down and What does that really have to do with any of us? We don't live in Israel. We're not Israelites. Well, Israel failed in their covenant, but God kept his promise. He sent that king, he sent that person, Jesus Christ, to take care of the sin problem and to be able to usher uh, his presence into his world. And so the promise to Abraham and to Israel, pictured by the presence coming down to the temple to bless the whole world, is now fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the seed of Abraham, and in him, 
we experience the presence of God. In him, we can have the Holy Spirit. In him, we can accomplish God's purposes on earth. And so it's when we turn to Christ and uh, exalt his name and seek after Christ that we experience revival. My hope is that if you started off hungry for cookies this morning, that hopefully you're starting to get at least a little bit hungry for revival. Like maybe you're like, yeah, I, I want that. I want more of God's presence in my life. I want more of, of, of God moving in my family, in my neighborhood, in my church. I want more of God's spirit. I hope that you're starting to get a little bit hungry for revival. God wants to restore relationships, families, marriages. God wants to heal. God wants to accomplish his purposes through the church, through us. Are you hungry for that? Well, if you are, I've got a recipe for you to follow. Or I should say God has a recipe for us to follow. Number one, the first action that we see in this recipe that God gives us is humble yourself. James 4, 6 says this. It says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Shows favor to the humble. Someone who's prideful says, I know more than God. His word doesn't affect me, I affect his word. Someone who is humble says, God, I trust you, I need your help, I can't do anything on my own. Even if I don't understand, I trust your word. The second part of this recipe is pray. Matthew 26, 41 says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Every one of us has flesh. In our flesh, we're weak. We want to carry out the will of the Father. We want to do what the spirit wants. But we're all faced with temptation. And so we need to pray. Matthew 7, whoa, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Pray. A number of weeks ago, uh, in one of his messages, Pastor Keith spoke about a revival in Pyongyang, North Korea in 1907. Uh, one of the brothers of this revival said this, It paid well to have spent several months in prayer. For when God, the Holy Spirit, came, he accomplished more in half a day than all of us missionaries could have accomplished in half a year. In less than two months, more than 2,000 people were converted. The revival of the church began in 1903 and had continued to increase, now uh, flowed on in increasing volume from the Pyongyang Center all over Korea. By the middle of 1907, there were 30,000 converts connected with that center. 30,000. Amazing. Because they prayed, sought his face, and God answered. So, if my people will humble themselves, they will pray and seek my face. That's number three, seek. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Psalm 105.4. God wants us to experience his presence, not just on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or for a minute in the morning or a minute before we go to bed. He wants us to experience his presence continually. He wants us to seek his presence continually. 
It's his will for his presence to be in us and with us so that he can accomplish his mission in us, what he wants to do in our lives, and through us. My people will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn. Turn from their wicked ways. Matthew 4.17 says this. This is uh, the first public This is the start of Jesus' public ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He goes in the wilderness to be tempted, overcomes the temptation. And then he comes and he says this. He says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is no revival without repentance. There's just not. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, when Jesus says repent, he does want us to feel sorrow for our sin. He's not trying to get us to feel down on ourselves like, oh, my, I failed, I'm just like Israel, and I give up, I can't do it anymore. No, he's saying repent, and he's offering forgiveness. He's offering healing. He's offering salvation. There was... um, a leader in the Second Great Awakening in the U.S. named Charles Finney. He gives this definition of revival. A new beginning of obedience to God. A new beginning of obedience to God. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. Imagine if we experience revival right here in our own lives, right here in our church. Imagine seeing miracles. Imagine seeing the Holy Spirit move powerfully among us. Imagine what it could look like if our families were healed, if addictions were broken, if we got to see miracles. It's going to take an individual commitment of each of us to Christ to humble, to pray, to seek, and to turn. But not only is this an individual commitment, our response to Christ is our personal commitment, but he is the king that unites us together under his rule. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a call to each of us as individuals, but It's a call to all of us as a community. So we have this individual commitment to Christ and a corporate commitment together. Thank you for listening. You know, we believe God has something amazing in store for you today. And now is the perfect time to take a few moments and...